Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, men in green. That's correct, men in green. Specifically, we're talking about army green. Before I get right to the point, this revolves around what happened at Roswell to the witnesses reportedly by army personnel, men in the military, men in green uniforms, however you want to put it. What happened to those witnesses? how they were threatened, how they were intimidated, and how the deep state, even back over 60, 65, 70 years ago now, began to form that narrative at the expense of eyewitnesses. Now, I kind of got back on this because uh, I was flipping around the YouTube channels, cruising around online, and I saw that the um, History Channel had come up with another spatial uh, on Roswell, this time involving uh, Jesse Marcel's supposed diary that he had uh, had kept at that time, contemporaneous notes. Sounded pretty interesting, sounded like it could be something pretty eventful, but spoiler alert, uh, I just watched a little bit of the, of the program. I'm sorry I can't dedicate an hour a History Channel program pretty much these days until it hits YouTube and I can basically blank out all the ads, of which there are plenty. But I have to tell you, not that impressed. It seems like every time the History Channel comes up with one of these potentially brown, uh, groundbreaking uh, discoveries, whether uh, they're chasing uh, moonshine in the Appalachians or digging for gold on an island off the East Coast somewhere, or please help me, trying to find more of the Templar stuff somewhere in Utah. It's always the big lead up, and then when you get right to it, it seems like it's always the big letdown. Although I have to say, this is not a letdown so much in its own way because of the weird way things turned out. But first, I just want to get to this, to the promo I found on Life Science. And you can find, you can find links to the documents that we talk about or the articles you can find those at ufowarning.com. Now, I'll have to tell you, I'm a little disappointed because, you know, we're averaging about 10 or 20 people a day visit the site. And I put the links up there, and it's a lot of work. And uh, it's kind of fun. But, uh, you know, any given podcast can get a download of three, four, 5,000 downloads, which is, you know, decent for me. But it seems like even after 4,000 downloads on a podcast, you might get a couple dozen uh, visits to the website. So go on over to UFO Warning, check it out, and you can at least go to the links and go back and see what we're talking about here. Now, the first article comes from LiveScience.com. It says, Army Officers' Secret Journal Could Offer New Clues About the UFO Crash. And then it's, it's got a picture of uh, Mr. Marcel here, that famous one where he's... Uh, bent over, and he's got this, it looks like someone's just thrown some sheets of tinfoil at the poor guy. Obviously, he's not ready for a picture to be taken. It looks like a really, like a setup deal, actually. But there's With a mobile banking picture, and here we go. It says, a long-hidden diary belonging to a U.S. intelligence officer has rekindled research into the Roswell incident. The infamous UFO crash in Roswell, New Mexico, that took place more than 70 years ago. 
When a mysterious object slammed into the desert near the Roswell Army Airfield in July 1947, Major Jesse Marcel, an RAAF intelligence officer, was sent to supervise collection of the debris. A press officer at the RAAF, RAAF <clears throat> issued a statement on July 8th describing, quote, the crash and recovery of a flying disc, unquote, which, may, which many interpreted as evidence of alien contact. But the next day, an, another Army official told reporters that RAAF officers had recovered a weather balloon, not a flying saucer. Now, that's the kind of pattern uh, that we would see happen over and over again in the last 70 years. Usually there's not evidence, actual physical evidence of a UFO crash, but you have this, you know, you have multiple eyewitnesses. They report what they saw. The truth gets out for a little bit, and then um, the debunking squad shows up. And in this case, the debunking squad uh, reportedly reportedly contains some World War II vets, which were people that you might really not want to mess with. Now the article goes on and it says um, newspaper photos showed Marcel posing with pieces of what appeared to be a shredded high-altitude weather balloon with the radar reflector. But in the decades since, many have speculated about the military's initial flying disc report, wondering if the record wreckage was perhaps more unusual than the photos implied Recently, Marcel's family revealed that he had kept a diary from that period that might contain clues about the crash, sparking a new investigation by the History Channel in, in, the, in Roswell, the first witness, part of the network's History's Greatest Mysteries series. It says the government claimed they had recovered a UFO. They had a press release about it, said Ben Smith, a former CIA operative, and the show's lead investigator. No government in the world has said, we have a spacecraft. And then the next day, there's another press release that says, never mind, it was just a weather balloon, Smith told Life Science. The show reveals the Roswell crash site, incorporating aerial surveys and mapping, and using multispectral imaging to detect micro-depression in the ground that could indicate where debris landed, Smith said. But the central component of the new inquiry is a diary which Marcel supposedly kept during the time of the Roswell crash, and it is now in the possession of his grandchildren. Decades after the event, Marcel told an interviewer that he believed the object that crashed in the New Mexico desert had extraterrestrial origins, according to Time reported in 1997. Analysis of the diary translated translation of its cryptic language could reveal coded messages that Marcel wrote about the crash at the time that it happened, Smith said. Okay, I'm going to interject here. If you go to the website ufowarning.com and you just watch that six or seven minute uh, excerpt from the the, uh, History Channel show, they show actual pictures of what they're calling a diary. I don't even know if I'd call it a journal, actually. Um, Okay, what's weird about it is the diary basically consists of two parts, and 
half, you know, maybe for a year or so leading up to uh, 1947. And it's written in kind of, uh, from what I can tell, very difficult to read, cursive. And it just seems to be uh, random stuff. I don't even know. It's not like he's, it's not like it's not like it's uh, a diary. Uh, Dear diary, today I found a spaceship crashed in the desert. It's nothing like that. And then after uh, forty-seven or so, not that far after, what this would have happened, the handwriting's totally different. It goes from this um, kind of you know a little hard to read cursive into this uh, very uh, almost childlike block. Uh, Lettering, okay. It's almost like something written in the hand of a third or fourth grade kid, almost. And the one of the uh, people in that uh, video clip that I have uh, linked there from the History Channel at ufowarning.com, he makes the comment that it almost looks like a collection of uh, sayings that somebody got out of uh, Reader's Digest. And I think that's very astute. They're just... You know, stuff like, you know, not to be exact, but, you know, like, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and that kind of stuff. Just stuff scribbled in there. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, is this something that was written by somebody who, who maybe had uh, a mild nervous breakdown at some point? Um, because what's he trying to tell us? We know, we know, as soon as they came out with the History Channel and said, look, oh, we've got Jesse Marcel's diary, this could blow the case wide open. I knew that was total crap. This guy was an intelligence officer, okay? So he knew what would happen if he said something that he wasn't supposed to say. And so there's no way I believe for one second that Jesse Marcel kept a separate diary somewhere, you know, just to blow the whole thing wide open and tell us how he had been threatened or intimidated or whatever. He was smarter than that. He wouldn't. He, it wouldn't make sense for him to, him to put himself in danger by writing anything down. I mean, he might be able to make a comment or two when he got to be 80 years old or however old he was. But at the time, you know, especially as an as an intelligence officer in the U.S. military, there's no way in the world he could. He would, I couldn't imagine he would be that careless to endanger himself by writing down things that he had saw, especially if it was in his capacity as a military officer. So I think there was a lot of hype as far as that goes, as far as I'm putting this out there. But what I do think was kind of underplayed from what little bit I've seen is, it looks to me like if this was his journal, as what I wouldn't call it a diary, but if this was his journal, which he'd written things down, and I think it probably was, I think that the story here is not that he wrote down a first-hand account of finding that spacecraft or those aliens out in the desert. The story, because he didn't. The story here is, look at the man's handwriting. It's like a normal, you know, uh, fairly young man in the prime of his life. I mean, steady, cursive writing, like you would expect from the time. Uh, some of the journal entries are just mundane stuff. I mean, maybe there were, he was making notes to himself or whatever. But then after the crash, look at the handwriting. It goes, and like I said, you can go to ufowarning.com and you can look at that video and look at the handwriting. See what you think. I see the steady hand written with a with a right uh, right hand slant, you know, and, and cursive. I mean, well, you know, the guy, the it looks like it was written by somebody who was in the right mind. And then I see this block letter stuff written, just like it's like something that, like something a kid would write in primary school. 
Why did he regress so much in his handwriting style? That's the part that doesn't make uh, any sense to me whatsoever in this thing. I don't get it. And I think I really almost feel like the History Channel has missed the boat a little bit. Uh, a little bit from that point of view. Now, I came across another article here uh, getting to uh, the uh, alleged intimidation. Now, they did bring this up a little bit in uh, what little I watched of the uh, of the actual uh, short documentary or whatever. And I mean, I know some of you are going to say, well, how can you criticize something if you didn't even watch the whole thing? Let's, listen, it's the History Channel. I don't need to watch 45 minutes of shaky camera angles and uh, made-up experts to know what they're talking about. You can watch the... Uh, you, you, you can just watch the synopsis on this and you know exactly what you're getting into, okay? And this is typical History Channel stuff. It's interesting for about five minutes. But the part, another part that I found interesting was, and this is old ground that's been covered many, many times, and, they use, and of course it's History Channel, so they use some old clips they piled together. But multiple witnesses to that thing came out later and were reported to have been intimidated by uh, U.S. Army officers. And uh, the... Uh, the the one cowboy the rancher escapes my name. If you ever watched the UF the the uh, documentary of it that HBO did, Dwight Yoakam played the cowboy. It was freaking awesome. And as he's leaving the radio station, you know he's supposed to go back to the radio station and give the guy their first hand account. Well, in between, he got a visit from the U.S. Army, spent a couple of days of interrogation, and decided to uh, change his story. And as he's leaving to go get into his brand new pickup truck. Um, the guy asked him something about the little green men, and he turns and he says, well, they weren't green. And I thought that part was just so perfect, and I could just see how that would be so uh, true. They, the army comes in, it's a small rural town, uh, they basically uh, just approach the eyewitnesses, uh, and whether they have to buy them off or threaten them, uh, they put a cap on the story. You have to remember, this is 1947. I mean, most people don't even make a long-distance phone call, let alone have access to the Internet. Now, this next article came from OpenMinds.tv, and it's from a while. It says here, August 10th, 2020, it says, A survival, a survival at Roswell, the truth about the one that walked away. And then it says, uh, Don Smith has been one of the primary investigators uh, of the alleged crash of a UFO in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. He and his colleagues have tracked down hundreds of witnesses who claim to have information about what happened. When putting together the Roswell UFO crash issue of Open Minds magazine in 2011, we asked Don to write us an article on the best evidence that an actual pilot of the alleged spaceship survived. The following is the article he provided for the magazine. And then it has uh, the article listed here before. It says uh, eyewitness account Dan Dwyer D-W-Y-E-R. In 1947 Frankie Frankie Dwyer Rowe, a 12 year old girl <clears throat> witnessed her father being threatened and warned by the military authorities. Now you can uh, find uh, 
multiple videos of this gal on YouTube. They were done maybe 10, 20 years ago, where she talks about army officers coming to the house, threatening her father, explaining to him that uh, him and his whole family would be uh, killed, basically, and buried out in the desert. Now it says here, um, her father, now deceased, was a crew chief of the Roswell Fire Department at the time of the incident. When the, man, when the call came into the fire station that there had been an airship crash north of town, Dan DeWire and Lee, I'm having a little trouble here, the, the writing on this is extremely tiny, and Lee Ware were uh, dispatched with the sheriff and a couple of the deputies were also following the rear in fast pursuit. Arriving just after the military would secure the scene, Dwyer and Reese were witnessed something totally unexpected. It wasn't an airplane at all, but an egg-shaped vessel of some sort that they did not recognize. Well, this, of course, is the flying saucer that crashed at Roswell. It says, And the bodies, Dwyer could see three diminutive humanoid beings lying in the lying in the Lee of the craft with the folk with his focus uh, riveted on the craft and the bodies on the ground, Dwyer noticed a movement out of the corner of his eye. There, watching in front of in front of him, seemingly from out of nowhere, was something right out of a science fiction movie. According to the firemen, it was about the size of a ten year old child with grayish skin no hair and a large head and eyes with and eyes within moments the roar of the approaching vehicles could be heard as a military family as the military finally took charge of the entire affair. So here we have this fire department basically being called out to what they thought was an airplane wreck. They show up with the sheriff and the fire department, they get to the wreck and here are these three bodies in this craft. And, of course, the one alien was still alive. That was the one they talked about being up walking around. Well, it didn't take long for the U.S. military to show up. And that's when things changed a little bit. It says the two firemen were escorted away from the immediate area and warned of the consequences if they should ever speak of the incident. They further <clears throat> To further demonstrate the seriousness of what was witnessed, Never and the family were paid a visit by military police that they were that evening at their home. It says Dwyer and his wife were physically threatened and were told that authorities would kill their children should they utter a word about what was witnessed earlier that day. Now remember, this is 1947, two years after World War II had ended. And you know, it might be hard for people today to imagine uh, U.S. Army personnel showing up and threatening to kill somebody over a UFO. But think about the context this was in. That we just had the whole uh, scandal with um, the Soviet Union uh, stealing secrets uh, involving the atomic bomb program. Secrecy was a big deal. And this is in the Southwest, right where this stuff's going down at. And they're dealing with uh, Army vets, quite possibly combat vets. They'd seen a lot of killing, probably did a lot of killing. So when the U.S. Army, if they did so, sent them out to tell the local civilians not to say anything on the 
on the threat of death, because as far as they were concerned, it would be treason to allow to let these state, state secrets out. I think people did pay attention, and I could really actually believe that that happened. It says the Roswell incident left an impact on all those involved, especially then-Roswell Sheriff George Wilcox, and just before Wilcox's widow Inez passed away, she related a story to her granddaughter, Barbara, who, who since passed on the story. It says the event um, shook George. He never wanted to be sheriff again after that. My grandfather said, don't tell anybody when the, <clears throat> when the incident happened. The military police came to the, came to the jailhouse and told George and I that if, that, if we, that if we told anybody that if everything about the resident, that, that we would be killed, but our entire family would be killed. So here they go. They've gone to the jailhouse where the sheriff works with his wife. And they threatened to kill him and his whole family. This is pretty scary stuff when you think about it. And you can understand why so much of this stuff has lost. And and what other times, you know, how many other cases of UFOs uh, sightings occurred where maybe there was a crash evidence or crash retrieval. And the same things happened, but we don't know about it because people never said anything. Now, another case here says Sergeant Homer G. Rowith. Sergeant Homer G. Ralphett, Jr. was a member of the 603rd Air Engineer Squadron at the RAAF in 1947. He was a career military man and retired as an NCO after, after 26 years of dedicated service to the country. Before uh, passing away, it says, in March of 1988, he finally conveyed to his son Larry the following startling information about his involvement with the crash of the Flying Saucer. Wirewith was part of a cleanup detail sent to the crash site north of Roswell. Larry was told that his father had seen everything. He handled the memory metal, which, according to Homer, was thin foil that kept in shape. If it wasn't enough... <clears throat> Then it says, uh, was part of the claim that handled handled the metal. And then it says, Larry was told uh, that his father, and he was seen everything, and he he handled the memory metal, which, according to Homer, was was thin foil that kept it shaped. If it wasn't wasn't enough, he... He described the actual ship which was somewhat circular. He also caught his son completely by surprise when he announced, I saw three little creatures. They had large heads, and at least one was alive. Wow. Now this article goes on here. It has multiple witnesses listed, each of them telling about what they saw. And it goes into great detail about what they saw. And you know, here's the thing. When you see a case like this, and you have one or two witnesses, that's one thing. But when you have 10, 12, 20, or maybe 100 witnesses, and they're all describing a, a similar event, maybe the details aren't all exactly the same, but it's all these independent eyewitness accounts, and it all fits together like a jigsaw puzzle. 
And people can ask, well, if something like that happened, uh, why didn't it get out? Well, we know why it didn't get out. Because it happened in a very secluded part of the country. It happened near a large military base. And even back then, the deep state may not have been as mature as it is today. But they put their assets to work, quite clearly. By having these men go around in uniform, maybe they weren't even soldiers, maybe they weren't even actual army officers, but they at least pretended to be. And under the cover of this authority, it seems quite likely that they did in fact threaten people. And that's why people stayed quiet about it for so many decades afterwards. To me, that's the real story. The real story that the History Channel just kind of touches on, but doesn't really delve far enough into it's not about whether or not Jesse Marcel had a diary. It's not about whether there's a secret account left written somewhere. It's about how the people that claim to be our government react when something like this happens. And honestly, even though this has been 73 years ago, to me, the the way our government reacts, the way the deep state reacts to the UFO phenomena, to what to what presents itself to us right now is not in an open way centered on disclosure, but it's they're acting the same way they did 70 years ago. Now, they may not be able to use brute force the way they did back then. Well, I'm sure they can, but they may not be quite so open about it. But they're certainly able to use deception. They're certainly able to use... Uh, all of their powers to keep things secret. And, you know, yet again this week, I'm going through the Twitter accounts and I'm seeing people make comments, you know, that, well, perhaps Trump is, is going to go ahead and tell us all what he knows about UFOs. Perhaps we're going to get some more disclosure. Look, we're talking about a guy that's been in office for four years and can't even get disclosure on things that he ordered disclosure on. You know, he was supposed to give us disclosure on John F. Kennedy. We couldn't even get that out of him. So that tells you how tight a control that the deep state has over information that they want to keep under wraps. And here we see this happening with Roswell 70 years later. And we're just now scratching the surface of what people saw and how people were threatened not to talk about what they saw. Who knows how many secrets those people took to their graves with them that that prevented us from having even a basic understanding of what happened out there 70 years ago. So, in conclusion, as far as the uh, History Channel documentary goes, yeah, I suppose it's good entertainment. Uh, I, I, I link to it, like I said, at the webpage ufowarning.com, and you can take a look at that diary slash journal, whatever you're See what you think about it. I think I think the History Channel is doing what it's good at. And that is um, disseminating information to a lot of people who have an interest in UFOs, but really aren't into it at, at a very serious level. And that's okay because it brings those people kind of into the tent to where they can begin to discuss things. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes when we watch these uh very slickly produced UFO documentaries, whether it's whether it's on the History Channel or some other YouTube, wh wherever. Sometimes, the most important thing is not 
is not the primary thing they're showing us. Like in this case, did Jesse Marcel's leave a written account of what he actually saw there in the desert? Sometimes the most important stuff is what's just under the surface. In this case, you know, what's going on with this guy's diary? Why is the handwriting so altered from before the sighting to after the sighting? What happened to this guy? What kind of psychological pressure was he under? I mean, how badly was he threatened? And and then we can expand that. What happened to these other witnesses? What happened to them? I mean, what what kind of what kind of bad things were threatened against these people? What kind of bad things were done to these people to force them to not talk about what they saw? So you see, we can we can start out by 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 maybe enjoying a UFO documentary, but what that does is it opens up a lot of other questions that are still unanswered after 70 years. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.